Psalms, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. If you remember last time before the Christmas Eve, I had preached verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to kind of cover uh, verse 2 again and go into a little greater depth with that. Um, but we're going to do 2 and 3. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. And so last time in verse 1, I kind of elaborated on that quite a bit more than verse 2. And I talked about how when we live according to wicked counsel, it changes the way we think, and it causes us to live in a manner that's opposite the way God has told us to do. And it really steals our joy and our contentment in this life. And uh, that's the thing that the world misses, is that we think that there's freedom and joy in whatever we want to do with our lives. But God has a plan for our lives, and in that we can find contentment and joy. So those verses tell us that we're blessed when we don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. When we live according to wicked counsel, we don't experience that joy and contentment. And so today we're going to see in these next two verses what life looks like when we listen to God's counsel instead of the world's. And so if I could sum up this sermon in one sentence, it would be those who find their delight in God's instructions will spiritually flourish and get the most out of this life. There's a famous pastor whose name is John Piper, and he says, there's a famous quote that's by him, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So when we're satisfied in God, God is glorified by that when we find our hope in him. So God has everything that we could ever desire within the path that he has for our lives. And so knowing God and walking with him is how we find the most contentment in life and the most joy. But we as humans struggle with that because of our sinful flesh. We often fight God's will for our lives. And even as Christians, daily, we fight, our, we fight God's will for our lives in some form or another. But God has extended for us an open invitation to find our joy in him and his plans for our lives. And so in order to experience that joy, the Bible tells us we need radical transformation in our hearts. Uh, and that's something that's continuous in our lives. We cannot do it through our own strength and our own will and our own power. And uh, that does not work in Christianity. You know? And oftentimes within the, you know, the history of our country, we have the saying, pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And that's not something that works in Christianity because we only can live that life out that God has for us because we're not perfect. We can only live it out when he gives us the strength to do that. And I know that many of us in here know that this morning. We know that our hearts need changed, and we know that it's a continual thing. Uh, but it's something that we often forget in our lives. I know that I do many a times. And when I'm in those periods of my life where I'm forgetting that I need to be aware of where I am in my heart, it affects people in my lives. It affects my life. And so um, we're going to start with verse uh, 2, where it says, Instead... His delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So we're going to start with that word delight. As we look at the word delight, it means that we find great joy in, we find satisfaction in, we find pleasure in his instruction. And so to find delight in his destruction, it means that it's not a burden to us. 
It's not something that's intrusive, that's weighing us down. It's not something that's an obligation or something that's intrusive in our lives. The world looks at God's laws as something that's intrusive. They see God as some sort of dictator who wants to control their lives and, and just make them do certain things that, that are going to steal their fun and, and steal their joy. And to be honest, many of us as Christians look at God's instructions this way sometimes. It becomes an obligation in our lives. I have to do this. This is something I'm supposed to do, so I need to do it. And if I see it as an obligation in my life, then I'm not delighting in God's instruction. It should be a want to, not a have to. And God is a God who does not keep us pressed under his thumb. He is a God who has extended his hand, open-palmed, offering us something that will satisfy our souls and bring us purpose and value and meaning in this life. And so if I see God's instructions as an obligation, then I will either avoid God's plans for my life or I'm only going to do it because, I want, because God says I have to. And if we look at God's commandments as something we have to do, uh, then we don't look at God as a loving, merciful father, uh, but rather a God who wants to control our lives. And if that's your view of God, then there's a good chance that you might start to lack mercy and understanding for others when they don't live the way you think they should live. I know that within my own life, when uh, before I became a Christian, way back in school, I thought it was about what I could do to make God happy with me. I had to act the right way. And as a result, I started looking around and say, hey, they're not doing what they should be doing. And I started judging them and being self-righteous. And it's not what God wants in our lives, but that was my view of God. My, my view of God was that he's sitting up there waiting for me to make a mistake. He's angry at me all the time because I can't ever do everything right. And that's not how the Bible paints God to us. Um, you know, sometimes the God that we believe in is not the same God that's revealed in the Bible. You know, those who wrote God's word in the Bible did not see God that way. If you read through the Psalms, they did not see God as an oppressor who's trying to keep his thumb on them, who's trying to control their lives. They saw God as loving and faithful and gracious and merciful and patient. If we think of God any other way, then we're not worshiping the God of the Bible. As Christians, we have such an intimate relationship with God that Paul tells us that we can say Abba, Father to him, which Abba literally means Papa or Daddy. That's the equivalent in our language. It's a close relationship with God. It's not a do this or else relationship. It's an extended hand offering you the only thing that can satisfy your souls. The way we often think of Christ is sometimes different than how God has revealed himself, or the way we often think of God is sometimes different than how God has revealed himself through Christ. Jesus tells us that God is a father. He's like a father to us who loves, who cares for us, and wants to give us the best in this life. He doesn't want to cram his will down our throats. Uh, God does not need us. We're not painting a picture that he's yearning for us, that he needs us. Without us, he's not whole, uh, nor is he begging us to be his, but he's offering us something that the world cannot give us, and he offers us that out of love. His will and his presence in our lives is what satisfies our souls. And so if we remember in verse 1, it said that we are blessed when we seek God's will over the world's will. That's what it tells us. We're blessed. God wants to bless us, and his blessing is that he's with us. God wants to show us goodness and love, and he wants us to delight in him. He uses the word delights in his instructions. We have joy and we have contentment in following Jesus. 
Why? Because God is with us. You can find delight in God's instructions because you are no longer walking away from God, but you're walking with him. That makes a difference. We are made to be with him. And apart from him, we have no true joy. And so are you delighting in God's instructions in your life or is it an obligation? Is it something that you have to do? If it's an obligation that you have to do, most likely you're serving a different God than the God that the Bible teaches us about. We are to delight in his instructions. Uh, Don't listen to what everyone else says about God. Don't even take my word for what I say about God. You have to go to the source, which is the Bible. And if you read the Bible and you read it through, you'll find out that we have a God who loves us and gives us something that we can have joy in. And so we delight in God's instruction, not dread it. And then we have the word instruction, or some versions say law. Instruction or law, that's really what law means. In Hebrew, it's instruction for our lives. God's instructions are basic. Um, Many times we overcomplicate what God expects of us. And we oftentimes do that by having a list of rules that we religiously live by. Uh, But we're told by Jesus that the greatest commandments are to love God and to love others. Um, Those are his instructions to us. Everything else is wrapped up in those two commandments. And I talked about this last time. I kind of covered, uh, covered this a little bit, but I'm just going to go into a little more depth here. But when we can love God and we can love others the way that he has commanded us to do, then everything else just falls into place. His instructions are straightforward. And yet because of our sinful nature, it's impossible for us to follow them the way we were created to. And that's kind of where I left off last time. I didn't go any further when I preached out of that, that it's impossible for us to follow his laws the way that he's created us to. But these two commandments are simple, but they are impossible to keep. That's why we need Jesus, because none of us are perfect. We stood before a holy God with breaking his commandments every day like we do. We would be in trouble. We will always fall short. The command to love God is not just to do what he says. That's not love towards God, just to do what he says. You can do what your boss says at work. That does not mean you love them. Love tells us that it's a relationship with God. The command to love your neighbor as yourself is not to do a bunch of kind things for them. It's a commandment to love them. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself comes from who you are, not what you can do. But who are you on the inside? I can do all sorts of kind things for others and not love them at all. It becomes an obligation because God says to do it. Or it makes me feel better about myself. Or it makes me look good to others. God's two basic laws are to love God and love people. And that's to look at others with the same loving compassion and mercy that God has for us. To see their value, that they are created in the image of God. And simply because of that, God loves them and we are too also. Out of that love will flow good things. But love must be there because that is the law to love. God is not primarily concerned with our actions, but our hearts. Who am I on the inside? And so that's why we need to question our motives. I've heard some people say, don't worry about what your motives are. Just do what God says to do. But we need to question our motives. Why do I do what I do? Why do I say the things that I say? Why am I doing good things for others? Am I doing it because I love them or because I'm supposed to or because it makes me feel good? And this is important. 
Because if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, then we stop growing. We simply go through the motions. And it's just empty religion if we don't genuinely have a love for our heart, in our hearts for others. God is not about empty religion. We will never love the way that God loves. And that becomes clear in this world that amongst Christians, even amongst Christians, we're just not good at loving the way that God loves. Which is why I said earlier, we need Jesus because we're not perfect. We break these commandments in a variety of ways every single day because Jesus says if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. That happens in your heart. That's who you are. But many times within our lives, we can use the excuse of I'm not perfect as an excuse to stop growing into who we're supposed to be. And we simply just try to act right. The Bible tells me that my good deeds are as righteous as filthy rags. My good deeds, the good things that I do, they do not matter if my heart is not right and where it should be. God sees and judges our hearts. Doing good things doesn't make me who I'm supposed to be. The reason I fall short of the glory of God, the reason we all fall short of the glory of God, it's not because I don't do the good things that a good person should do. The reason I fall short of the glory of God is because within the depths of my heart, within the depths of my being, I am not a good person no matter what good things I do. And neither are you. And the Bible teaches us this. And that's offensive to a lot of people. But the Bible shows us time and time again, we are not good within our hearts. Paul knew this. Paul, a leader in the church, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 15, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Now, why on earth are we trusting an apostle who says that he's the worst sinner? The truth is, until we realize how deep our sin goes, we cannot even begin to become the God, the person that God made us to be. Until I can truly say of myself, I am the worst of sinners, I cannot truly grow. Why? Because the Bible tells us time and time again that God favors the humble. If I see myself as better than I am, and I'm never going to grow in being the person that God tells me to be on the inside. It's not a call to hate ourselves. This is like, it's not a call to hate ourselves when we realize that we're sinner and our sin goes deep. It's a call to know ourselves. We can't become more like Christ if we think we're healthy. If you're saved, you're still a sinner. If we're saved, we're still sinners. Paul was not the worst sinner because he wasn't living like Christ. He was living like Christ. He was obedient to Christ, probably more so than most Christians all over the world. Very obedient. But he was the worst sinner because he knew himself. He knew what happened inside of his heart. He knew who he was. Once we truly know ourselves, we realize that we're not good. This is another thing that Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. I do not understand what I do. For, I want, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. 
As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good in itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to, but the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. You read that and you really think about it. Paul sounds like a mess. (laughs) But then you really realize that he's talking about this is the human condition of all of our hearts. Paul knew what was in his heart. He was aware of his sinful nature. Sin is intertwined within us, so much so that oftentimes we miss it. It's not something that we just occasionally do. It's something that lives in us and is a part of us. That's what Paul said. He says, it's not I that do it, but sin living in me. And that comes out in a variety of forms and how we treat people, how we think about people. It just shows that there is sin living in us. Paul knew that just because he was a follower of Christ did not mean that he was where he needed to be. So do we know what's in our hearts? That's the question to ask ourselves. Because that is where the problem is. It doesn't fully matter how I act, but who am I? How we live on the outside doesn't tell anybody who we are. What goes on on the inside of us is who we are. What I think about others is part of who I am. How we see the depth of our sin. Have we seen it? Have we seen the depth of our sin or do we think we're good the way we are? And again, I know that many of us in here know this, but I don't know about you, I need to be reminded of it often. Otherwise, I just lose track. If I think I'm good the way that I am, then Christ is of no use to me. I need him because I'm not good. And the fact that that offends many people tells us that we're not good because pride reigns in ourselves. We want to believe that we're good. And the goal of faith is not just to simply be forgiven, but to become more godly in our character from the inside out. That's part of being born again, that when we have faith in Christ, we become born again and he begins to change us from the inside out. And as Christians, we sometimes mask ourselves so that others can see what we want them to see. I know that I do this in my life, especially in the moments when I'm struggling in life, uh, to look like Jesus on the outside. But that means nothing if we're not developing righteous hearts. I don't know anybody's hearts here. I only know my own. I'm only responsible for my own heart. And I can tell you from personal experience, it's, it's, it's a mess sometimes. <laughs> and that's why we need transformation every day. David says we get that transformation from meditating on God's instruction. That's where it comes from. So the word meditation... Meditation is not just knowing God's word, it's being transformed by it. It's a part of being transformed by it. The Hebrew word was Hagah. It means to moan, to growl, to utter, to muse, to mutter, to devise, to plot, to speak. And so I've literally heard it that it's, to, back then it meant to murmur to yourself, to tell yourself, to speak over and over again God's truth so that you're hearing it, so that it's becoming something that you're saturated with. Also to plan that out, to look and see how that looks like in your life and spend time focusing on what that is going to look like in our lives. And Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is what meditation does. Because we can know the Bible cover to cover, that does not necessarily mean anything. 
Satan knows the Bible better than any of us in here. And uh, yet it has not transformed him. I know somebody from, from way back um, who, who went to seminary uh, long before I came here. Um, and when they got out of seminary, one of the things that they said was, because of my education, I struggle with humility. Now, whether they could realize, realize that or not, that was probably the most humble thing they could have said. I didn't tell them that because that adds to the struggle. But, but that was the point of that was this, is they knew that about themselves. And um, it goes to show that we can know all sorts of things about the Bible and it not equals spiritual growth. There's a difference. Knowing that I need to be humble is not the same as being humble if it doesn't change my heart. So we can know the Bible. We can know the characters. We can study it deeper. We can, we can know how to find the biblical context of Scripture so that we can understand the passage better. I can memorize the first five books of the Bible like the Pharisees had to. Uh, and then I can come to church every Sunday and learn various things about the Bible. And it can have no impact on my spiritual life whatsoever. And sometimes, it's actually a quote that I heard a long time ago, Sometimes we elevate the word of God over the God of the word. We want to know more about the Bible, but not necessarily concerned with its main message and how it's going to change us. Meditation does not mean knowing the Bible, and some atheists know the Bible better than some Christians. Meditation comes with an attitude that says, I need to change. I don't want to be the same. Without that attitude, learning the Bible is just knowledge. So we read God's word, we think about it, we think about how it applies to our lives and what it looks like as we live that out, not just to know it, uh, but to be transformed by it. I, I'm getting ready to start a class uh, in a couple weeks, and I've noticed that there are times when I'm taking those classes where it almost feels like a substitute for that quality time spent with God, and it can take the space of that if I'm not careful, and it has at times. Like, I think I'm learning more, so I'm, I'm being more spiritual because I'm learning it, but that doesn't mean that I'm connecting with God and meditating on His Scripture, and so... Um, we need to know that we're not good, uh, that we're never good, like that, that it's a constant thing. And then we need to have the desire to change. That would, that's what accompanies meditation is the desire to change. I don't want to just know God's instructions for my life, but I want his instructions to become who I am. And I can know what Jesus teaches, but not really be following him. But it doesn't mean that I'm following him if his words haven't taken a hold of my heart. And... Um, the way we know we're being transformed is that we're not content with the way we are. When we really know ourselves, we become uncontent with the way we are. And we want to be more like Christ and, and live for him. And, and that's what happens in our daily reading when we're reading the Bible. It confronts who we are. That's why we, we're, we're encouraged to read it daily. And I don't know about you, not always faithful with it, just to be real. But... We're encouraged to read it daily because it confronts who we are and it shows us who we're supposed to be. Meditation changes who we are and it changes what we want out of life. Meditation leads to saturation, which leads to transformation. I meditate on God's word to know what God wants from me and to become consumed with the desire to become who he wants me to be. And I meditate until his instructions take root in my heart and begin to change me. And then I continue to do that for the rest of my life. That's what he's going to say later for the rest of our lives. But notice that David said meditate on God's word, but he didn't say practice a bunch of rules. 
He just said meditating on God's word, simply meditating on God's word. That comes from the fact that Jesus changes us. It's not what we do. I don't fix myself. I don't just try harder until I act right. Uh, That leads to self-righteousness. I've definitely been there in my life. But what we do is we let Jesus, through his teachings and his words, become who I am on the inside until it affects how I behave on the outside. It's not the other way around. Otherwise, I'm merely religious. Um, And so I don't do good things until it changes me. I come to Christ. I let him undo who I am uh, as a fallen sinner and allow him to change me from the inside out. Transformed by the renewing of my mind. That is biblical sanctification. And as I let go of who I think that I should be, God begins to change me. Meditation on God's instruction is not, is, should be accompanied in our hearts with an attitude that says, God, I want your will. Ultimately, God, I want your will. When we're approaching his instructions, I don't want my will, I want your will. That's why I'm thinking on your instructions until I have surrender in my heart. And I keep, if I don't have surrender in my heart, I'll keep going around uh, the same destructive patterns because it hasn't changed me. And so there's many times in my life where I've had to come to the understanding that I'm not who I should be, um, where I fall short in many areas, whether it be my family or with my friends. Um, in those moments, I've had to come to God and say, I don't want to go around making these same mistakes. I don't want to stay in this pattern. I want change. We have to want change. I'm tired of how I treat others. I'm tired of my sin affecting those around me. I'm tired of the misery that comes with thinking and living contrary to Christ's ways. I don't want it anymore. That way of thinking has to come before our meditation or else it won't do anything for us. I mean, even if we're mature in our faith and we've been Christians for years, God tells us to know what's going on in our hearts. And there's always something that needs changed. And we need to come before God with that heart. Knowing more about the Bible doesn't necessarily bring us to that place. We want God's instruction for being different. He goes on to say day and night. Day and night. In other words, it's continuous. Paul says, I die to self daily. We need God's instruction day and night. Transformation doesn't end on this side of eternity. It's constant. We have to maintain awareness of self, who I am and who does God want me to be. We have to be patient with ourselves. We don't want to do this for the sake of hating ourselves or beating ourselves up. That's not productive either. We want to become aware of ourselves so that we can take every thought captive and surrender it to God in obedience. So David uses this image. He uses the image of a tree planted by flowing streams. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaves did not wither. So if it's anything that we know about plants, it's that they need water. And David is comparing God's instruction to a flowing stream, like it's, it's constant, it's continuous, it's consistent. That tree constantly has that water source. And so if I pray and I read my Bible every once in a while, we, we can dry up in our, in our walk with God. If we read it out of obligation just to simply know it, we can dry up. If we're not spending time with God in his word and actually spending time in his presence. And so the worst periods of my life are when I don't make God in his instructions my constant source. And if we just go to church on a Sunday and that's pretty well it um, throughout the week, 
uh, then we are not going to flourish the way that God has called us to, the way that he has promised us if we make him our constant source. And it's in those moments, I don't know how many times where I've just gone to church on a Sunday, went through the motions, and, and then throughout the week, I'm like, why, why is God not moving in my life? Why is he not with me? Um, when life gets difficult in those periods of my life, and I've realized that oftentimes it's because I'm not making him my constant source. Because he's promising some things here that if I make him my constant source, there's going to be some change and there's going to be some strength in that. So we need to plant ourselves by good, healthy, consistent source of water. When God's transforming presence in our lives is not constant, then weeds begin to take the garden, so to speak. And I use the word when here because it is going to happen in our lives. There's going to be periods in our lives where God's not a constant source of our strength and our hope. But weeds begin to take a garden. Uh, this, I don't just plant a garden. And, and pull out some of the weeds at the beginning of the summer and think, okay, I'm good. I don't have to worry about that anymore um, if I don't want those weeds to grow back. Um, because what I planted, the things that I want to grow, uh, they will not reach their full potential if the weeds continue to come back. And, and within, within our hearts, as we talk about weeds, weeds are sinful patterns of thinking that will choke out any sort of good that is growing in us. And I know this in my life. Um, because I had this big moment in my life where God showed me a lot about myself. I was uh, working at a job, and uh, I'd surrendered to preach in 2017 in the spring, and in the fall I started at this job where I was working mostly by myself, um, and I, I was basically on the second shift, and so I was really mostly during that period of my time not around anybody. Uh, there were some bad circumstances in my life. There was a lot of guilt and anxiety and things like that. And there was just too much time for me to think about things. And uh, it was, I, I was having trouble sleeping. I was having trouble um, just focusing and thinking right. And um, it was during that time where I was just going through a lot of different emotions. And I think that God used that time in a way that I didn't see at the time. Because there was one night where he just kind of... Through a song I was listening to, he just opened my eyes to see all of this stuff about me that I'd never seen before. Like I was completely unaware of all of this selfishness, all of this pride, all of this manipulation in my life. And I'll be honest with you, um, I had my friends fooled. I had the people around me fooled. Uh, but I couldn't fool myself at that point. And I became broken for that. Because as Christians, when we see those selfish tendencies, when we see those ungodly tendencies in our hearts, and that's not who we want to be, then we end up broken because we don't want that in our lives. And so I turned to God and I said, God, I don't want these qualities in my life. I want to be different. I want to be the opposite of this. I want to be loving. I want to be selfless. And so with his help, we start pulling some of those weeds out. And then I'm like, oh, there's this whole patch of weeds over here. And then I look over here and then there's another patch of weeds that I'm seeing. And just when I think you're doing okay, there's a whole nother patch of weeds growing. And then I got married and then I see a lot of things in my life that I never saw before. And so the point is, is that it's a constant thing. It's a constant thing in our lives that never stops on this side of eternity. It's a lifelong process for every child of God. That's why he's saying day and night, it does not cease to need that. We don't cease to need that in our lives. And so we need his presence in our lives. And, and I use the word presence here because God's instructions 
means that he wants to be involved in our lives. When you think about all these remote gods over the history of ancient religions and even now, they were remote gods that really were more like us than they were God. Right? They weren't, they weren't, a lot of them weren't merciful, and a lot of them really didn't get involved in their lives. They were selfish, they were greedy, uh, they were... You know, you never could trust them to be consistent. Unlike our God, who is immutable, he never changes. They weren't real. Those gods were fake. They're all false gods. Uh, but if they were real, they wouldn't have cared about the people who were worshiping them. And you certainly couldn't rely on them to be there. Their moods were all over the place, just like ours. They were just like us. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God that's like me. And uh, with all due respect, I don't want to serve a God that's like you either. I want a God that's above me and is above my perfection. God giving us instruction means he wants to be with us and he wants to be involved in our lives. And so we have to let that sink in. God giving us instructions in our lives to be more like him means that he wants to walk with us in this life. And that's life in the garden. Before the fall, that God was walking with Adam and Eve. He was with them. He wanted them to be with him. That's how we know that he's loving and merciful God, that he loves us, that we're kind of the pivotal point of his creation, that he made us in his image. And so if we neglect our relationship with God, the God that wants to give us this kind of life, this kind of contentment and joy, then what has grown within us will wither and die if we're not living life with God. You know, a tree may flourish for a time, but if it doesn't get what it needs, eventually it will die. And a tree planted by a steady source of water does better than a tree planted in a desert or, or, or one where it's just sporadic rain every once in a while. And that's what our hearts are like. We can produce fruit as Christians, but if we're not consistent with God, we stop growing and thriving. If we stop growing and thriving, we just stay where we're at. We begin to wither. We go backwards. Weeds begin to choke out what's good. That's why many of us as Christians, myself included, we can become cynical. We can grow up to be grumpy old people. And uh, that's because we neglect how our hearts, uh, we, we neglect our hearts and the shape that they're in. And, and we neglect to plant our hearts near Christ. And that cynicism of the world, that mindset of the world starts to creep in slowly. And we start to see things in a way that God has not told us to see things. This psalm is a promise that if we plant our hearts near Christ, we will prosper, finding our joy and contentment. And in due time, we would be radically transformed like a tree planted by rivers of water. And notice that it says it bears its fruit in its season. It often takes time to begin to look like Jesus, to begin to live like Jesus. And we need to understand that that's all God that gets us there. It's not by our own efforts. It's by his meditation. We just have to come to the end of ourselves. We just need to see our need for change and indulge in God and his presence and our instruction and his instruction in our lives. Letting him saturate our hearts with his instruction. Living the life in communion with him through prayer and through reading his Bible to discover his will. And in time, everything about us will begin to change. But it starts in our hearts. We need to delight in God and his instructions for our lives. And let his instructions become who we are as they change the way we think. 
And in time, we will find contentment and joy in Him. I don't know about you, but there's periods in my life where I just don't have that contentment and joy. This is a promise that God becomes our prosperity when we do this. We need to remember that we're never going to be perfect. We will fail every single day of our lives. All of us are sinful and all of us need forgiveness. And that's why we need the gospel. David recognized this in Psalm 130, verse 3 through 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That question that he asked, who could stand? Not a single one of us could stand if he counted our iniquities. The things that are constantly going through our hearts. The ways that God tells us not to think. Not a single one of us could stand before God and be pure and blameless without Christ. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel of what Jesus did for us. That he came into this world because of our lack of perfection, because of our sin, because we don't think and live and love the way that God has created us to think and live and love. And we're going to fall short every time because our deeds are as righteous as filthy rags. And Jesus came into this world, lived the perfect life that none of us ever will. He died on the cross in our place so that when we put our faith in him, we can be forgiven of everything we've ever done wrong. All those thoughts that go through our head that God says is sin, all those actions in the way we treat people everything forgiven wiped away the bible tells us god remembers it no more that's why we need jesus because we can never do that in our own efforts we need to be forgiven so that we have a relationship with god christ came to unite us with god so that we can be transformed you know we oftentimes think that jesus is a means to an end that he's just a ticket into heaven But if you read the Gospels, you realize that there's a lot of information that he gives us that says, no, you need to change. We we need to change. That we're not supposed to be like the world. And he shows us how messed up we are. He says, there's none good but the Father. And that showed us that we need change constantly on our lives. Because in being more like Christ, we find our joy Because through Christ, Jesus is God's word. Jesus is God's instructions to our lives. And living in that instructions, we find our joy. And joy leads us to continue to live like him. Once you've experienced that joy of knowing him and becoming more like him, you want to continue to live like him. It's not a have to. It's not a God's going to punish me if I live this opposite way. So I better do what's right. I better stay in line. It's I've experienced the love of God. I have tasted and seen that God is good. And I want him in my life. Our delight comes in a life spent living with God. No matter how close we might think we are to God, there's always room to grow in that relationship. And that's what we need to be reminded of daily. That's why we read our Bibles, so that we can be reminded of what we need to bring to God and have Him get right in us. And so as this time, I encourage you to look within your hearts. Um, I'm surrounded by loving people here, and I know that. You guys are so loving. You've been so supportive of me and my family during this time. But all of us need that in our lives. All of us need that consistent relationship with God that helps us to see what we need change in so we can find our joy and we can have close communion with God. So I encourage you during this time of pastoral prayer just to think about those things, maybe things in your life that uh, maybe you don't think about on a daily basis, but 
things that you know are hindering relationships, things that you know are making you miserable in your life, and things that you know that need to be better. And I encourage you to just take this time to think on those things, and then we'll finish up in prayer. And uh, if you want to come forward, that's fine. If you want to stay where you're at, that's good too. So we're going to take this time and pray and talk to God.